This year, we've grown one single-family home every single calendar day. Do the math on that. We're counting at 221 here on 9 August. So it's been a good growth year for us, and uh, we hope to continue that trend. Welcome, Closers. Today, we have another episode of the Profitable Property Management Podcast coming at you. Season one, focused on marketing. I'm your host, Jordan Moyla, and every week I interview world-class property management entrepreneurs and industry experts who share actionable insights to help you grow your property management empire. Whether you manage 100 or 1,000 doors, this is the show that's going to help you see the big picture and get to the next level. I don't throw darts at a board. I bet on sure things. Read Sun Tzu, The Art of War. Every battle is won before it's ever fought. Think about it. Today, I'm talking with Brad Larson, the owner of RentWorks, the fastest growing property management company in San Antonio since 2011, and the host of the Property Management Mastermind podcast. Today, we're going to talk about why Brad is known as a monster implementer and how he got from real estate agent to property management empire builder. Welcome to the show, Brad. Hey, Jordan. Thanks for having me on. Appreciate you being here. It's an absolute pleasure. Brad, let's start here. Give us a little background in your company in terms of market, headcount, doors, growth velocity, et cetera. Sure, no problem. So we started back in 2011. Uh, I'm a, a former realtor. I was doing real estate sales here in San Antonio, uh, slanging the homes for a long time, and then kind of wanted to look around and actually run a real legitimate real estate business. And property management had the combination of residual income and basically it has that thing that looks like a real business to where real estate in, in general in the sales side feels like a little bit of a, a treadwheel. So the, the property management side really intrigued us. And in 2011, we focused extremely focused, extremely hard on building the single family home property management game. And to this point, five, six years later, we're around 725 plus homes, all single family homes. They rent for an average of around 16 to 1700 per month. Uh, we have 14, 15 different staff members here and a pretty good growing business. It's been a phenomenal year this year in 17. So here's some fun stats for you. This year, we've grown one single family home every single calendar day this year. Do the math on that. We're counting at 221 here on 9 August. So it's been a good growth year for us, and uh, we hope to continue that trend. Love it. That's, that is some cause for celebration right there. That's where you're at today. What's the long-term vision and goal for RentWorks? Long-term vision and goal is we want to be at a certain point of a number of homes that's it's running smooth and going well. Uh, we just rebranded from Larson Properties to RentWorks San Antonio to give it more of a long-term play. That way, it's not so much necessarily in my name. It's more along the lines of a business name. And RentWorks had a great ring to it. And so the long-term goal with this is to expand and potentially even expand in other markets. And we're, we're getting that all going now. So you've got the, the big picture vision. Talk to me about growth in the early days. How did you get to your first 100 properties? Walk me through that early grind and hustle, Brad. That was probably the most difficult part because I was doing some leasing effort when I was with Keller Williams as a realtor. And leasing means you lease the home on behalf of an owner and then they deal with the tenant. 
So there was no real management involved. And so getting to the first hundred was a bit of a grind. I mean, I had to do everything. Uh, at the time I was going to uh, school, I was getting my MBA and I was doing the, the management side and selling homes and we had two small kids. Uh, I was working till 10, 11 at night. I was, you know, I gained 20, 30 pounds. It was a, it was a nightmare during that time frame to get up and going because I was working from home. Uh, and then when we got our first air quote office, which was a PO box on a main street here in San Antonio, that was our first legitimate office address. And we really didn't get an office in person until five years ago. It was July, August, exactly five years ago we moved in. And when we moved in, we were around maybe 80 homes under management. And that's when we started to realize, okay, we're going to need to hire somebody to, to answer some phones and help with the office stuff and be around. And that was kind of how we started the first 100. And the 100 to 200 kind of seemed to be the, the toughest challenge because it, it felt like I was doing everything by myself until you start to get the systems going and the key personnel that's going to help you grow. So when was that turning point for you in terms of handling the sales, talking to owner prospects? When did you stop doing that? How many doors were you at at that point? We were right around 150 to 200 doors. And I hired the first business development person that worked for us for almost a couple of years. And that really kind of turned the page, turned the corner, if you will, because it got me away from having to do the grind of signing up new properties. I was busy trying to help manage the properties, building a team that could manage the properties. And to do both and expect to grow is difficult. Because if you're going to grow fast, you have to, you have to dedicate your resources to putting things in place, not doing everything yourself. So talk me through that rocky transition. We see this a lot. There's a lot of talk about BDMs right now. And for a lot of folks that are going from having a business largely based off referrals, touching the owner, handling everything themselves to making that first strategic hire in a growth capacity, a lot of times it's a rocky transition. What was that like for you and what did you have to do to actually get some uh, inertia and escape velocity with having another person specifically to help you in that growth component of the business? Well, a lot of it was developing the programs, developing the marketing, developing the reasons why somebody would want to call. Uh, you cannot expect business development people just to go out and get you business. As the owner of the company, you have to figure out a way to make it rain. So you got to figure out how to generate the leads, how to build the programs, how to build the points of difference to make the, the emails go off, to make the, the phone ring, to make people want to work with you. That's their owner's responsibility. The marketing people, they're gonna, they're there to kind of uh, help with some of the marketing issues, like I was mentioning. But the business development person, they're going to be the people that go out into the field and meet with the owners and try to sign the business. You can't expect them to make it rain and to make them sign the business. So that's where I think people go wrong is I hear stories from other management company owners. You know, they get, they call me and we talk about it. That's the root of, of the, the podcast show we have is the masterminding. And they call me and we talk about it. Okay. What's, what are you doing right now? How are things working for you in the business development side? And I hear stories of, well, I hired this gal and I paid her a salary and, and she just didn't work out. She wasn't signing up properties. Well, okay. That's, that's understandable why that didn't work out, but you can't expect them to do your job for you. You have to figure out a way to make it rain to bring in those leads. Uh, what do you think about that? I mean, am I speaking out of, out of turn here? I mean, what are your thoughts? 
Completely agree. I've seen that story. It's sad to me. It's sad to see an employee get hired and effectively sabotaged based on the expectations of the employer or the lack of expectations and clear structure. A BDM a lot of times can kind of be pixie dust for growth, but oftentimes if there's not infrastructure for onboarding and training, that employee is not positioned for success. But the other thing that you're getting at is the difference between inbound versus outbound. That ISA that can nurture that can handle inbound phone calls, that is not necessarily the same temperament from somebody that is willing to prospect and go uh, hit the streets and shake the bushes. Prospecting is a good good way to define that. So we have an inside salesperson and we have an outside salesperson. And it, it's so funny, the inside salesperson is happy to do videos, happy to get on the phones, and it will even go into the field. The outside salesperson, who is great one-on-one, she's a little camera shy. So it's kind of funny how personalities work. You would think just what you said would be the opposite, but sometimes you have to build it around the personalities versus hiring for that particular mold uh, because we interviewed a lot of people for these two positions and ended up getting a couple all-stars that are doing great for us, clearly. But it, it's not as cut and dry as you would think, like you mentioned. I think people have to maybe adjust the role they're in for the type of personality they are. I can't expect, like I was mentioning the video stuff, I can't expect the outside girl, the outside gal, her name is Leslie. I can't expect her to do all kinds of video content. That's either going to be me or it's going to be the outside, excuse me, the inside sales guy, Brian. You know, we're more of the video type people, but you put Leslie in a room with owners, man, they love her. So it's a personality thing versus a, a role on paper thing. Does that make sense for you? Yeah, that absolutely makes sense. So let's talk about kind of the transition. You're talking about some progressive revelations as you've been through this process early on. You ground out the first hundred properties, then you got some people leverage. What about today? You mentioned some names. You got some people in that that growth department, either on the sales or marketing side. What kind of metrics do you look to to help guide your analysis of growth, whether things are not working. What are you looking at on either a weekly or monthly basis related to growth? We're looking at it a monthly thing for how many potential signups we get each month. And then we look at which types of plans they're grabbing. You know, we have a three-level pricing, uh, the silver, gold, platinum, and their flat fee pricing. And I, I talk about that probably enough on my podcast show to make people sick. Everyone's sick of hearing it. But at the end of the day, the metrics that we're concerned with aren't necessarily cut and dry because what what you're talking about, and I've heard you discuss this with me, is you want to hear about a closing ratio, right? Well, that's a difficult thing to pin down in my opinion because the top part of the closing ratio is how many leads you're getting. Well, first you have to define a lead and then you have to figure out there may be two or three different levels of a closing ratio. Closing within 30 days, so if a business development person goes out and they get an actual signed PMA, a property management agreement, and then that person is ready to rent their home out today because it's vacant, that's a great close. That's a, a within 30. But what about the owner you're meeting who's thinking about hiring you? They're six months from the current tenant moving out or they're six months from moving out. And that's a great appointment. You're probably going to get the business, but we don't actually close them for six months because we don't actually rent their home out for six months. So it's kind of like those ratios, those metrics on that level, defining leads, 
and then defining closings are a little fuzzy. I wish they were cleaner, but it's really kind of how you define them inside your own business. You know, Brad, you're an interesting character because you pay attention to the details. I agree with you. And what you're getting at there is talking about making an apples to apples comparison. I've heard you talk about the same thing. Uh, for example, business owner, business owner, if, if there was such a thing as a clearly standardized chart of accounts, then we could have an apples to apples comparison on our expenditures and different categories of our businesses. It does matter to pay attention to those deals because otherwise it's easy to go to the trade show, to go to the convention, kind of cherry pick the numbers that you feel like reflect well and you're not you're doing somebody else a misservice because you're either over or understating what your business is actually doing when in reality we need that apples to apples comparison let's talk a little bit about strategic positioning i believe it was jack trout that said marketing isn't a battle of products it's a battle of perceptions you're a guy that has paid attention to positioning within your business so talk to me about how your positioning rent works and how you try and have that brand stand out from what is increasingly a crowded and pretty competitive field yeah we're in probably one of the most competitive markets in the country uh, I know I'm going to get hate mail for that one, but uh, that's what all the SEO people tell me. You know, the, the folks I've talked to on the podcast show, my webmaster, uh, they look at the stats and say, man, San Antonio is so competitive. But at the end of the day, what really does it is content and content could be videos. It can be, uh, it can be podcasting. It can be blogs. You know, here's, here's a cool idea. I'll throw it to your audience. So I saw a guy the other day on Bigger Pockets. He was doing, he was a property management guy up in Ohio somewhere. And I know I'm giving on a side rail here for you, but this is such a cool thing. I'm, I'm going to start doing this as the guy mounted a camera in his vehicle, like an iPhone. And he was talking about property management related things while he was driving. And so he wasn't like, you know, holding the camera. It was fixed in his dash. And he was just having a conversation with like you or me sitting shotgun and talking about different property management things. So I'm going to do this. I'm going to mount a camera in my truck. And tonight on the drive home, I'm going to talk about how much I hate Jordan and how much, you know, I want to come out there and, and attack you. <laughs> nah, I'm just kidding you. But what I'm going to do is drive home and, and film a couple things and see how that works. And that is not difficult. Where I'm, I'm going to make a point is that is not difficult. Uh, that's on my commute home, 30 minutes a day. And you could put content on an iPhone, upload it to, to YouTube, and boom, that's going to get you good content, which equals SEO juice, search engine optimi optimization juice, which is what you want to outshine your competitors because you want to be on the pins, you want to be on the first page organically. Uh, you're going to want to be have a good ratings on Google, on Yelp, on Angie's List, on uh, Thumbtack, on every other thing that's out there that I'm probably forgetting a bunch of them. But those ratings matter as well, and they matter a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot. It's, it's disgusting or it will make you sick. If you get a bad review or a series of bad reviews and now all of a sudden you're you're dipping into the two, three star range or worse, you don't know what you're missing because those people won't ever call you. If they're looking for management companies and you have a really crappy rating, they'll never call you. And if you do get bad reviews, you can treat them sometimes like a ball of yarn. Like you can smack it around like a cat playing with a ball of yarn. Because if an outgoing tenant who's disgruntled and hates the world leaves you a bad review, 
Well, turn it around and make it a talking point for what you do right as a management company. Don't, don't try to refute that online. Turn it around to where I understand you're an outgoing tenant and this is how our policies work. We enforce a lease agreement and go on and on and on and turn it right around and say, this is how the good things we do. So I'm getting off on a tangent for you, but it all goes back to the search engine optimization to get seen online because that is what really matters. And then once you're seen, you have to look decent and looking decent is, you know, good quality content on your site. And also that keeping your, your ratings in check. Uh, if you got to bribe people, if you got to bribe people to remove reviews, do it. If you got to bribe friends and family to leave you good reviews, do it because you have to look good. You have to look good. Otherwise you'll never get business. So we got two sides of the same coin here. We're talking about lead gen, right? Demand generation. That's what SEO relates to. And then we have conversion and that's what positioning reputation relate to. On the conversion side, you have been prolific with content. You have created just a large volume of content, but we don't want to endorse this as being purely a shotgun type strategy. I've also noticed that you have sculpted and shaped your content to address key concerns. Going back to positioning, consumer expectations, talk to me a little bit about how you have crafted content in relation to some of the key points of anxiety, concern, questions, et cetera, that, that your consumers or potential customers have. Real easy. It's real easy. You take your 20 to 50 to 100 most frequently asked questions. And while you're doing that online, uh, question, how do I pay my rent? Answer, do a, a minute long video. You can pay your rent online. You can pay your rent in person. You can pay your rent via pigeon carrier, carrier pigeon. You know, whatever you decide that, that is right for you, uh, that's your content you put out. And then that's video one. The next question is where, what office address you, where, what are your hours? You know, why do you charge this or all those frequently asked questions you can think of instantly turn into a video and you just have to do videos minute to two minutes long. And this is not meant to be a podcast to be pro video, but content, good content is often the root of doing that. And real easy, the low hanging fruit is the 20 frequently asked questions that a lot of people carry on their website. And that would be the easiest one to turn into one video for each question. I love it. So this, I'm looking at your website right now and I'm seeing some different examples of where you've done this. These are all landing pages with a video at the top within text content down below. Video marketing for your San Antonio rental property, San Antonio property management, using video to keep owners informed, an international presence, single owner point of contact, instant free market estimate for your rental home. Uh, all of the guarantees. You have videos affirming and backing up all of these points. Was it always this easy? Did you ever, was there a, a, a change in your mental orientation towards this? Were you ever camera shy or just gutturally did this always make sense? And did you embrace this strategy from day one? I would say I embraced it from day one and it's not, you just get up there and start talking. And I don't, I don't mean to oversimplify that. Some people get a little bit camera shy. Uh, they, they get stuck in themselves having an and or an, uh, or a, you know, or like, I say the same things in conversation as you may as well. They can't be shy about those things. Just get up there and go through what you want to say. If you don't sound completely horrible, it's okay. 
you know, if you get up there and, and freeze, that's not something you want to put out there. But as you do this more, you get better at it. And it's been going on like this for 10 plus years because uh, YouTube came out really, what, in 07, 06, somewhere in there. And I was doing the video walkthroughs on my own with my own little video camera and using those instead of virtual tours. You know the virtual tours where they take a picture and it moves and there's really lame music in the background? You know, that virtual tour thing? Well, that's old school real estate. And I started not doing that 10 years ago with the invention of YouTube. I would just do a walkthrough of a home. So I think today we're in the 15, 1600 video range on our YouTube channel. And there are videos from walkthroughs that are set to private. There are videos that are public that are the, the marketing walkthroughs where, hey, this is, this is a three-bedroom home and you're going to love it. And here's the backyard, all that good stuff there. Those are piling up along with the talking head videos that we do to talk about what we do, who we are, how it works, and all the programs you just mentioned. Those things add up because that's the real, real good content that you want to put on your website to build your presence on Google, to get you on the first page, to get you leads, to, to drive the leads into Lead Simple. I would love to go on a tangent with you about Lead Simple, how the leads flow into there. Yeah, absolutely. Before we jump into that, I just do want to mention that the proof is in the pudding. I'm, I'm checking what you're telling me, Brad, because you're saying you're prolific with it. And I know you are, but I wanted to just check 1,200 videos. In fact, you're three, you're three short. I don't want to give you too much credit, but 1200 videos on the RentWorks San Antonio channel. Hats off, my friend. That's, that's impressive. It's been a compilation of four or five years. And as, as I was mentioning, those turn into good content on your site. Good content turns into first page hits. First page hits equal leads. Tracking the leads go into lead simple. And one of the coolest things that you've just put out and I think within weeks, is the text messaging thing. Man, I got to tell you, this is not a plug for you. This is super darn cool. The text messaging thing, as a lead comes in, the lead gets an automatic text message from us saying basically whatever you want, but it's paraphrasing as, thank you, I've got your information. I'll be calling you here shortly type stuff. And people get really impressed with that. We've tested it. We've done it. It works. And maybe you can expand on how that how that works and how it's uh, intended to work. Yeah, sure. I mean, we just want to make sure that people felt acknowledged and speed to call, as we both know, has a huge impact. You just cannot deny the gap between, well, I tried to respond as quick as I could versus literally calling somebody within 20 seconds. Your best effort and actually calling somebody within 10 to 20 seconds is a world of different outcome. We're very much an advocate for calling people immediately. And if you can't call immediately, respond immediately. And a text at the end of the day, it has that human connection that email has lost. Email, for better or for worse, is a medium that has been so abused that people fail to believe that there's actually a human behind it. Whereas with text, that human connection still exists. Yeah, email is turning into white noise right now. I mean, it's just, there's just so much of it. You know, the newsletters that people put out and the junk we get and the, and the offers from the Prince of, of Africa to send me $10 billion. I mean, I'm just so sick of email sometimes. I go through my email and I'm cleaning out a hundred to 200 crap every day out of my junk. And then it goes into clutter if it's not junk. It's just like, 300 to 400 messages a day of just worthlessness. So, you know, 
the stuff that's important, I like to look at. I mean, you guys put out decent stuff. I like to look at that stuff. But you know everybody gets filled up with emails to where it, it is that white noise thing any longer. And it's kind of a sad thing how, how it's just kind of reduced to that, unfortunately. Yeah, I mean, there's definitely still an opportunity with email when it's done right. But if you can incorporate texting into the mix, I'm a big believer in it. One of the things I wanted to talk to you about is profit. When we think about growth, when we think about marketing, it can become this kind of um, vacuous growth machine, the growth monster, more doors, more doors, and doors matter. Growth matters. But at the same time, smart growth, profitable growth is obviously a huge priority overall. I know it's something you've prioritized. Talk to me a little bit about how your orientation around the type of property that you're willing to take on has changed over the last five years. Who's your target customer right now? We target the upper end of the market. We're looking at we want the $2,000 home on up, which is uh, not the top of the market, but on up is. So you can get up to $3,500, a month in this market. We want that top end player and our management systems, our management programs, as far as the, the pricing models are geared to that. And that makes it a quality tenant. Like I mentioned, average, we're, we're getting sixteen to 1700 per month in rent, which is the middle to upper end of the market. You know, the base to get a livable home is going to be a thousand bucks. So we're well above, you know, that, that modern, or I'm sorry, the, the minimum type of a living standard. We're well above that. So in comparison, so I can, I can blah, blah, blah about that all day long, but the comparison metric is we're managing homes that are around 400 to $500 more per month than all of our competitors. And that's a multiple listing statistic that we can pull up and show people. So on average, company X next to us manages homes at 1200 a month. On average, company Y next to us on the right averages homes at 1250 a month. And then we're pushing in the 1650, 1700 barrier and it's just getting better and better. So the top end of the market is where we've angled and we've been successful in getting there. So in that regard, this is not a wish. Of course, everybody would love to manage high-end properties. You're actually doing it. The fact that you've made it uh, a stat that you can actually show owners means that you've been able to pull it off. Was there a critical uh, mass or was there an escape velocity that you had to kind of hit in order to be that choosy? Or was it just a mental switch of you just saying, I'm not going to manage junk properties anymore? A little bit of a mental switch and then also the design of your management programs. You may have to give a little bit away to manage that high-end home, but at the end of the day, it should cost you no more money to manage a $3,000 home than it would a $1,000 home. Which would you rather have? You know, as far as headache-free, hassle-free, paying on time, I'll take the high-end market all day long because that's that's a – you know, you're going to hear that from any property management guru is that's the angle you want to go towards. You know, we, we had a funny, we had an owner walk in yes, uh, this morning, excuse me, this morning, uh, the lady had 20 units and of course we're salivating. And then we sit down with her and the 20 units are all quadplexes, fourplexes and duplexes that are renting for 500 a side, 500 a unit. And, you know, she looked at our management programs and said, this is, this isn't going to work. And we looked at her and it's like, well, yeah, cause we don't want your business. Now, of course we, we weren't rude and, you know, we were very kind and we were, 
you know, she's a super nice lady, but we can't manage that type of home because those types of tenants don't rent from quality property management companies who pull credit and check employment history and check background history and find out if they're criminals and don't allow 27 pit bulls. We're not the company for them. So she said, (laughs) this is the funniest part, Jordan. She said that uh, most of her tenants don't even have bank accounts. And that is not for us. 92, 93% of our tenants pay online. They pay through the, the, the software that we use. Uh, they don't ever come to the office. Now, I, I know there's companies out there that say, we are 100% online and we have a virtual office. Uh, you know, we haven't been able to get there yet. It, it sounds like a cool concept. Uh, it also sounds, you know, you, you might have seen this on Listserv and some of the other things that are out there for NARPA members is you see some of the specialists that may have a handful of homes, let's say 75 to 100 homes, but they're real niche about it. They're real uh, focused on, on what they only want to manage. And then uh, they try to break those leases over the summer period. So they're not dealing with a lease rollover in November, which is good common sense, but they really focus on that. So they run a, a an excellent business at a smaller scale. So, they have no overhead necessarily, uh, and it's actually a, a really good way to run a business. There's nothing wrong with it. So it's kind of a niche group on the NARPM listserv that do that, and then the, the, most of the others are just, just they're just trying to get you know improved. They're trying to get to a point where uh, they're not running around with their head cut off. They can take a vacation, and as you've always heard people other other people say, is they don't own a job. They run a and own a business, a performing asset. Yeah, I get it. I like how you're segmenting out the market. I want to talk more about that segmentation and where the industry is headed. But before we go on, I want to mention our show sponsor, the PM Grow Summit, which is happening at the end of January in 2018. If you consider yourself a growth-minded property management entrepreneur, if you're interested in leveling up your sales marketing game, if you want to go pro and network with other best-in-class entrepreneurs and stay on the cutting edge of the industry, you need to be at the PM Grow Summit. We truly bring the best of the best, and you can get your ticket now by going to pmgrowsummit.com, and you can use the coupon code JORDAN, that's J-O-R-D-A-N, my name, to get $100 off your ticket. This year, one of our speakers is none other than Brad Larson, and Brad, you've attended, you're speaking, what's all the fuss about with this event? I think it's a graduate level, doctorate level of property management conferences. Uh, I've gone to all the NARPM ones and this is not meant to be a commercial for you, but I've gone, I go to all the NARPM ones and I love NARPM. I think it's a great organization and it leaves me wanting more because I'm in that educational mindset. And I look at this conference you guys are putting on and like, this is the doctorate level. You know, this is the next graduate level stuff of the education that we can get involving property management and what's coming up. What's the newest thing? How are people running? And you're going to get people from, all perspectives on that particular conference, which is really cool. Uh, you might be talking to somebody who has a hundred homes and they're just starting, or you might be talking to the 30 year veteran who's got 500 homes and has been at 500 homes for 30 years, but they run a fantastic business, always looking to improve. And the experience level they have is just phenomenal. So I love it. I thought it was a great conference last year. I'm looking forward to go this year. So Brad, let's talk about some of the 
winds of change in the industry. What are you seeing over the last 12 to 24 months that is different? Where is the industry headed? What forces are being brought to bear upon this industry that may not have been present uh, on day one when you first got into the business? Yeah, one of the things we're doing right now is we're getting more into the third party showing and vacant home lockbox type deals. Uh, I mean, I, I could mention vendors, but I think everybody's heard of them. And if you find a vendor that you like to where you can show unoccupied vacant homes unaccompanied to where nobody goes out there and, and sees them, where the trend is, is more and more owners are getting used to this with VRBO and Airbnb being so prevalent. And also more tenants are getting to expect that to where they're able to visit a home in person without waiting for a realtor, without waiting for a leasing agent. They see the home, they apply for the home online, they pay for everything online, they sign a lease agreement online, and they move in via lockbox. So they never have to go to the office. That is the trend. You know, and of course, you're going to get the one person out there who, oh, I've been doing this for 20 years. You guys are way behind. So, yeah, but the technology wasn't there 20 years ago. Now it is. And now the consumers are basically expecting that. They're expecting an, uh, an easy time to rent a home with minimum barriers put in front of them. Uh, like, bring me a security deposit and certified funds before I even shake your hand. Well, that's a giant barrier to leasing. How are you representing your owners very well? Or come to my office in San Antonio, 4 o'clock Friday afternoon traffic to come pick up keys. How is that making life easy for your tenants? It's not. And your tenants are going to resent that. I know they're people and they could care less if you give them a billion dollars. They're still going to resent you for something. But at the end of the day, this is the, the trend. And I'm circling back. This is the trend that you ask for is the technology is becoming more and more readily available to make this happen more securely to give people more of a comfort factor in doing this. Because in doing this, as I was talking to uh, another person this morning up in Oklahoma, we were talking about this exact scenario to where my market, I'm saving the co-brokering fees. What that means is I wouldn't necessarily have to pay out a commission to a realtor to show the home where I can save that in-house. So the person I was talking to this morning in his market, they hire a full-time leasing agent, but the leasing agent doesn't necessarily have to leave the office and they can lease more homes. Because of the technology, he said the leasing agent's production has gone through the roof the last month because of this technology. So any way you slice it, this has been the coolest thing I've seen in the last you know, 12 months, other than a few technology things that have popped up, the trend that we've gone to is to do more and more unaccompanied vacant home showings and the technology with the lock boxes that are out there are supporting it. So let's, let's give a shout out in terms of your actual implementation. Are you using a third party vendor for that? Yes, I do. And who, who are you using? What's working for you? I'm, I'm happily using tenant Turner. I think those guys have been great. Uh, there's several others out there. I don't have any, any, you know, negatives to say about them. It just tenant Turner fit me and fit our company how we want it. We tied in the leasing line into that. So now we have, this is the cool part through tenant Turner's leasing line. We now have 85 hours of leasing line coverage a week, 85 hours, which is like what? Eight in the morning till nine at night, Monday through Friday and nine to five Saturday and Sunday. 
So if you really want to be different in your market, that's a cool technique to employ like we have to say we offer a leasing line to where we're monitoring the phones every day, 85 hours a week. And when an owner hears that, an owner hears you talk about that, they're going to say, wow, you really are going max effort to try and rent my home. Kudos to you. I want to hire you. That's what it does for you. It gets you more management agreements. Absolutely. So again, you're turning the operational efficiency into something that you can actually use in terms of positioning and as a selling point. It makes a ton of sense. I want to transition now into the rapid fire section of the interview. We're just quickly going to go through some questions and I want to start here. What advice do you wish someone had given you on the first day that you started this property management business? Don't name your company after you. <laughs> okay. I think a lot of people could have, could take that advice. That's pretty broadly applicable in this industry. It, it is. And it, it's a, it's a positioning thing. It's a marketing thing. Uh, I guess what irks me the most about used to be called Larson properties was when people get mad or you get, or you see your name used in vain. And that just, I don't know, maybe I'm just a little bit too, I take it too personal potentially, but that really kind of got to me. And I just wanted to, to make a neutral name. I love the name RentWorks. We've rebranded to RentWorks San Antonio. And, you know, I really like the name. The website is nice and simple. And, you know, that, that seems to be a bit more on the professional side. There's nothing wrong with naming it, you know, Jordan Properties. You know, there's nothing wrong with that or, or whatever name spin, spin off you can think of. But if you're asking me on a rapid fire question and answer deal, uh, that's the first thing that comes to mind as something I wish I had not done. Uh, was it great for branding in the beginning? Sure. Because, when you're sitting in front of people and you got and you have 50 homes or 100 homes and you tell somebody that you're you're wanting to to hire you say look I'm your point of contact I'm your guy the name's on the door I'm it I'm the broker I'm this I'm that but as you grow into the management as a business as a whole you're not going to be that one person you can't you cannot get past 200 homes if you're doing everything yourself if you want to grow into a in a more of a, a business and it's, I think it's better to be more of a neutral name. So if it's not a lifestyle operation, really think twice about just doing, uh, doing the easy thing. That really is the path of least resistance. That's, that's why people end up naming the company after themselves. Everybody else does it. Path of least resistance. Don't have to think about any kind of big picture branding considerations outside of that. The next question is, what's the number one thing you see property management entrepreneurs doing wrong? You just mentioned the name, but beyond that, on an operational or on a growth level, what's like the one mistake that as you talk to other uh, friends in the industry, you see happening over and over again and really handicapping people? Not implementing any sort of a fee max campaign and not implementing would be the first mistake. So they go to a conference, they spend thousands of dollars, they see a good idea, they look at it and say, oh, that's cool, I'm going to write that down. And then they go back to their office and don't ever implement it. Don't ever put it into action. And that's one of the biggest mistakes, and tying into that is not fee-maxing your company. <laughs> there was a guy here in San Antonio, and, and uh, his name is Brian Felt. I'll give him a shout. He's a really good up-and-coming property management company owner. His dad started the business 30-some years ago with a Remax franchise here, and they didn't charge anything, no fees, nothing, no renewal fees, nothing. And so to drill down on a renewal fee, they didn't charge a renewal fee ever. And his dad was like, he was blowing up. His head was, you know, steaming 
when Brian, his son, who's a, who's a real sharp guy, says, hey, dad, we need to start charging a renewal fee. I mean, look at what we're saving these owners by getting them a tenant to renew their lease agreement. At 1500 a month, we just made that owner 18000 in a year. Don't you think we should get a little bit of that? And that's a big mistake. If you don't implement things like that, and I know most people are doing a leasing and a renewal fee. This is not something new. But a lot of other things could be implemented to make them a little bit more per door, per month, per year, to where they can go out and hire more staff members and or employ the use of different software things that will help them grow their business. Because notoriously, I see property management company owners are just uber cheap. And it, it baffles me. You know, they're, they're concerned about 50 bucks a month here, 100 bucks a month there. Uh, at the end of the day, none of that matters if you can go out and get one more home to make you 3000 more a year. Absolutely. Fee maximization is a massive lever. Everybody hears about fee maximization and what do they think? They think more revenue, but that's not what it is. It is actually a lever, a massive form of scalable leverage in your business. But the other wrong-headed orientation is that it's greedy, right? Ah, you're just asking for more, more money. You're just chintzing, nickel and diming these people. It has to be done in a value-added way. And we're going to hear more from Brad about that when he speaks at the PM Grow Summit. This is somebody who's done it, implemented, has the data and stats to represent it. I'm super excited to hear more about that. The next question that I have for you is how much is too much to pay for a new property management contract? We're talking about customer acquisition cost in your market for an average property. How much is too much to pay for a new owner? I would say anything north of, let's say, $1,500 for one particular, one particular contract. But that is so tough to quantify. Oh, my goodness. Uh, how do you actually quantify what it costs to get that particular contract? You sure can on Google Ads. You sure can on what your salaries are. But what about the intrinsic costs? What about the cost of signs? What about the cost of overhead? The cost of my office space? The cost of a desk? The cost of a computer? Uh, the cost of business cards? All those intrinsic little things, you're never going to get a really accurate cost for what it's going to, to pay for. Uh, one of the, the, the gentlemen you have going to your conference is Bob Walters, who is the uh, basically the head of leading property managers of Australia. Now, I believe he's going he's gonna to MC for you. Is that correct? Yep, that's right. He is experienced to the hilt on acquisition and acquisition costs. And one of the things he said, and I hope he brings it up at his conference, is that he has spun numbers every which way through Sunday that it's not worth buying a management company unless you're getting 200 or 250 doors. And that was one thing he said, because you can grow out and grow that organically cheaper than you could go out and purchase it for. And he's done all the math. <laughs> Again, six waves from Sunday, this guy's had done it. Uh, so he's going to be able to talk about that at your conference on why he came up with that metric. This is a guy that, that is a business broker for management companies. He knows the ins and outs of the numbers, both in every single way direction. So the acquisition cost, going back to that, um, too much, what's too much? It really depends on that particular portfolio. There is no magic bullet answer to that. But I remember thinking about this five, six years ago, and I talked to a, uh, a friend of mine who was a mortgage guy. He was he had 30 rental properties. And I said, what do you think I should do? Should I go out and try to acquire a management company or should I go out and build it organically? 
And without even thinking, he said, build it organically. Because look at the cost of what it may get to get X number of doors. I mean, I could go through my metrics and show you what I spend in salaries and what I spend in leads to get that number of doors organically versus buying that number of doors on the open market. There is no comparison, none. It was just, it'd be four times as much to do the same amount of work. A very nuanced answer. You're talking about loading up sales labor and operational labor on top of just the marketing cost. I think that's the right way to look at it. And obviously there's a lot of finesse that can go into calculating that. That is the highest number that I've heard yet. It's always interesting to hear how people orient and dissect that issue because it relates directly to growth, what you're willing to spend. Next question, Brad, who do you learn from? Who do I learn from? Wow. Good question. Okay. I love listening to other podcasts and I, uh, audio books. Uh, while I'm driving, I typically got a 30 minute commute back to the house and, you know, I, I come into the office four times, four or five times a week. So I've got a, an hour long commute each day, 30 minutes each way. I like the audio stuff. Uh, I, I listen to that when I run, I listen to it when, you know, I'm doing workouts, whatever. That's how I learn a lot is listening to podcasts and audiobooks. What books have impacted you the most? Oh yeah. I got a couple good ones. The one that was really cool, the 40 hour work year. And if you remember that gentleman spoke at the conference, Scott Fritz, his name was Scott Fritz. He, he spoke at the NARPM broker owner a couple of years ago. The 40 hour work year is really a awesome playbook on how to set up a company to kind of run itself. So that's been one of the coolest ones I've seen. Uh, there's a couple others out there. I like Built to Sell. That's one. Uh, Pitch Anything by Orrin Claff. That was a really cool one as well. Uh, those three are on the top of my list. And I keep going back to the 40-hour work year, starting at track 10 and listening to that over and over on how uh, Mr. Fritz set up his company, his his payroll provider company, how he set it up to run itself, and then he sold it for seven, eight figures, somewhere in there. It was a high eight figures, maybe. You know, he did a really good job in doing that. Brad, I love that you're a consummate scholar and student. That's not the first time that you've told me that you've taken a specific piece of audio and listened to it over and over and over again to squeeze as much juice out of the grape makes a ton of sense. I've done the same thing myself with key resources that I may have read it once or twice, but at some point, at some point, you realize that you may not have crossed the bridge between cognition and cognition. Cognition meaning understanding it intellectually, cognition meaning understanding it at a guttural experiential level. And I think it's an important distinction. The last question that I have for you today, Brad, are entrepreneurs born or bred? I feel they're, I feel they're bred. I feel they're, there's, there's just something about it. Now, I get teased all the time by my wife because my parents were both school teachers growing up in small town Iowa, and she thinks I was poor. You know, she grew up in San Francisco, and her dad was a dentist, and my parents were, were school teachers at Catholic schools, nonetheless. So growing up less than privileged made me hungry, and it gave me a lot of drive. Uh, I would say I was bred into that because if I had been born into a life of privilege, I may not have been as hungry and wanting to do more of the entrepreneurial stuff that we've been doing. But 
I guess to answer your question, I think it can be a, a learned trait to go along with it. Everybody has a different and an interesting answer on that one. I always love to hear people's perspectives. Brad, I really appreciate you coming on the show today. I'm excited to be with you and hear you speak in January on a host of really useful topics. If between now and then people want to learn more about what you're up to, they want to check out your podcast, what's the best place for people to go? Yeah, they can find it on propertymanagementmastermind.com. They can get into the podcast from there and listen to some of the pre-recordings we've had. I've had some great guys and gals from NARPM. Uh, there's a lot of good inf- information in there, and it's going to get better as I get more guests on. And they can find us at rentworks.com, and that's W-E-R-X.com, rentworks.com. Uh, they can find us there if they want to track us down. I'm happy to assist, and uh, you know, I really appreciate you having me on the show. Guys, go check out the podcast. It's worthwhile. Really interesting perspectives. And I love the fact that Brad is putting himself out there. He's doing the work to benefit you guys. Check it out. Brad, thanks again for coming on. Been a pleasure. Appreciate it. Have a great day. 